0: turn in your Bibles to the Scripture passage. We'll consider it this evening from Matthew 26 verse 26 to 29. You can find that on page 1057 of your pew Bibles. Let us give our attention, our Sacred attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many For the forgiveness of sins, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for his blessing. Father, again, we come before you this evening and we ask for your presence by the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds now to consider these deep truths that we find in your word concerning the privilege of eating with our God. You have invited us in, and Lord, we ask that by your grace you would help us to see the rich blessing that you have extended to us and that you give us, especially in the Lord's Supper, and help us see Jesus all the more clearly by faith. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, I've entitled the sermon tonight, The Biblical Theology of Eating with God. And so the first question we might have is, what is biblical theology? Now this phrase, it doesn't mean teaching that is from the Bible. Now by saying that, biblical theology is definitely from the Bible, it's derived from the Bible, but that's not what we are talking about or theologians are talking about when we use that phrase, biblical theology. What does it mean? Well, one author, author Nancy Guthrie, says it this way. She describes what we mean by the phrase biblical theology, saying, really, we're talking about a way of understanding and approaching the Bible that recognizes it is actually telling one cohesive story about what God is doing in the world through Christ. Biblical theology, she says, is about tracing particular themes that develop in that story of the Bible from creation all the way back in the beginning to consummation all the way in the end. Such themes as the kingdom of God or sacrifices, feasting, or temple. Now, Why are we talking about biblical theology in relation to the passage we just read from Matthew 26 about the institution of the Lord's Supper? Well, when we trace the theme of eating with God throughout the whole Bible, we end up with a bigger and better picture of what the Lord's Supper is. And since the Lord's Supper is a picture to us, a visible word to us about who Jesus is, In the end, we will end up with a bigger and better understanding of Jesus himself. And that's what we need. We need more of Jesus. We need to understand who he is all the more, to receive him by faith and trust in him. So to get this fuller picture of the Lord's Supper, we will trace six meals with God in the Old Testament, starting all the way back in the Garden of Eden and all the way forward to the wedding feast of the Lamb and His Bride, the Church. And you can find the outline for the sermon on the back of this bulletin insert. As we go through these six points, think of them as streams. Streams that, beginning in the Old Testament, are converging together into one river. That is, the Lord's Supper for us to better understand and see how all of these are coming together and giving us a fuller understanding of the Lord's Supper so that we will have a deeper appreciation and appropriation to our hearts, Christ himself, through the Lord's Supper when we celebrate together. So first, that first meal, the garden meal in Eden. In the very beginning, humanity lived with God in Eden the Garden of Shalom, in peaceful harmony and order with the Creator and all creation. And there, God was the perfect host, serving mankind with an abundance of food, we're told, to feast upon at their pleasure in His presence. They had sweet communion with God there. And in the middle of the garden, there stood the Tree of Life. It was a symbol a symbol of something even better than what the rest of the trees in the garden offered, a symbol of sharing in the communication of God's own immortality to humanity, God's free gift of eternal life. Now, how did that symbol work? Well, think of it in this way. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they looked at the tree. They saw its strong roots, its stable trunk, its vibrant leaves, its enriching fruit. And they saw by faith the strong, stable, vibrant, and enriching life that God was promising to them through it. It was the only tree in the garden that offered to them a quality of life that was truly distinct and better than all the other ordinary trees that existed there. And we, as we study the text, if Adam obeyed God, if he had obeyed him, he would have earned the right to eat of that tree of life and so live in blessed communion, blessedness with his God and creator forever. But instead, instead of waiting patiently to feast with God from that tree, Adam and Eve chose a kind of fast food meal from the forbidden tree that quickly led to their death. And as a result of that meal, what happened? Communion was broken. Humanity was estranged from God. Peace was gone. And in its place, enmity filled the void. Now think of this. You only sit down with people that you have peace with, to eat with. We don't sit down and eat with our enemies. In Genesis 3, after the fall, it says that God banished humanity from the Garden of Eden lest we eat of the tree of life. God banned humanity from returning back to that table because Adam rejected God's free generosity given to them. Have you ever seen in a window of a restaurant the sign that says, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone? we have probably all seen that sign. Well, according to Duke's undergraduate law magazine, across the nation, businesses display and enforce their right to refuse service. Whether a customer is causing a nuisance or is dressed inappropriately, the business could withhold its services without legal repercussions. But when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he was declaring his right and obligation to refuse service to sinners. The Holy One banned humanity from his presence and from the tree of life because we are stained and polluted with sin. But now, now, however, through the person and work of Christ, we have peace with God. Why? He is the last and better Adam and his obedience all the way till death itself in love for us was designed to forgive us and reconcile us to God. And how did Jesus do that? Well, on the cross, He was banished and refused service by the Father, dying in our place in order to forgive us, to wash us clean, and to then serve us with eternal life. And in Jesus, now we have renewed and restored access to the tree of life. And that's why in the very end of the Bible, the tree of life reappears in Revelation 22, where we hear this in Revelation 22, verse 1 to 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There it stands again, for us. God's inviting us, not by any merits of our own, but by Christ alone. Now the Reformed scholastic Francis Turretin on that image of the tree of life at the end of the Bible says this, Christ is the true tree of life because no one except Jesus is the author of eternal life. No one except Christ is in the middle of paradise and so even now Christ is in the midst of his church to be near to all, diffusing his vivifying power among all. That same eternal life, think of this, that same eternal life that was visibly represented to Adam and Eve by the tree of life in the garden is now visibly represented to us through the bread of life in the Lord's Supper. Both signs, both visible signs point to the need of life that is beyond what ordinary fruit or bread can give us. We depend upon our life giving God, both now and forevermore, and Christ himself is that life for us. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, in it, Jesus is giving us himself, his very life, saying, this is my body given for you. As the Heidelberg Catechism says, Christ wants to nourish and refresh our souls for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. He is giving us his life through it. So we've seen that garden meal. Now to the next stream, the Passover meal. The Passover meal, well, the climax of the Exodus story when we read it is that Passover celebration in preparation to be ushered out of Egypt and there to Mount Sinai to then be brought into the promised land. And in that Passover meal, we see that in the death of the lambs, God reminded the Israelites that by death, now, by death only are we saved. By the death of another, a substitute. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Justice must be had. And God's people of old, they were called to celebrate the Passover meal together as families, as a covenant community each year in remembrance of that redemption and its cost. By celebrating the Passover meal, they celebrated their freedom and every blessing that they received. And when they ate the cooked lamb and the unleavened bread, they remembered the cost of their freedom was the blood of those lambs. They were shed in the place, their blood shed in the place of their own children. So when Jesus was baptized, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God's only begotten Son, Jesus, came and laid down his life and shed his blood as the true Passover Lamb in order to grant us now freedom from sin and death. And so we owe our entire life, eternal life, to Jesus and him alone. His body and his blood were the cost of our freedom and every blessing that we will ever receive for all of eternity going forward. And also through his bloody death, we have the promise of safe passage through God's coming judgment as the Israelites surely walked through the divided waters of the Red Sea. So too, we shall walk through the divided gates of death itself by the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. The Lamb of God has freed us, and we are bound now for the promised land, the new creation. And when Jesus celebrated or instituted the Lord's Supper, His supper, it was during the Passover festival. It was no accident. He was declaring himself to be the Lamb of God. And therefore, each time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are taking into our souls the greater and truer Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ. And we are celebrating our freedom unto eternal life through his body and blood. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 to 8, Paul says, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed Let us therefore celebrate the festival. That's the second meal, that second stream pouring in, giving us a fuller understanding of the Lord's Supper. Now the third, the mountain meal. The mountain meal. After sealing the covenant between God and Israel at Sinai with the bloody sacrifices, God invited the elders of Israel to go up and eat with him on the mountain. And we read about it in Exodus 24 where it says this moses then took the blood sprinkled it on the people just imagine that imagine you're there and moses is splashing you with the blood of the sacrifices again there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood so the blood is splashed upon them this is the blood of the covenant that the lord has made with you in accordance with all these words moses said And Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. They ate and drank. Now, what was this meal all about Well, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, sharing a meal with another was this ancient way of ratifying the promises of a legal agreement, a covenant. In other words, the meal sealed the deal of peace, the relationship that they formed in that covenant arrangement. And so back on Mount Sinai, God was sealing the deal with Israel by eating with their elders. And notice that they were permitted to eat with God in his presence without him raising his hand against them in judgment. How? How is that possible? Well, Remember the blood that was sprinkled upon them that spoke a word of mercy that allowed them into his presence. And this helps us see the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is God's way of sealing the promises of the covenant of grace with us with Christians. God is saying to us, you are only able to eat and drink with me in my presence because of the sprinkled blood of Jesus upon you. His blood speaks a better word of forgiveness and peace. You have been washed clean with his precious blood and now you have bold access into God's very own presence through Christ. And he's saying, I give you my word. Eat and drink the bread and the wine. Take Christ in by faith because Jesus is the meal that seals the deal of our peace with God. And each time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, God is reasserting, reconfirming his promises to us to forgive us all our sins and to give us eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so the Lord's Supper is that meal that seals the deal of God's grace and peace to our hearts. Now the next stream, the manna meal, the manna meal in the wilderness. In Exodus 16, soon after that covenantal meal on Mount Sinai, in Exodus 16, we hear about the manna in the wilderness. There, the Israelites, they were hungry in the wilderness in their wanderings, and God gave them gave them bread from heaven called manna, which in Hebrew literally means, what is this? What is this? It was a special provision for God, uh, get, that God was giving to his people to sustain them in their pilgrimage, in their wilderness wanderings. According to Psalm 78, verse 25, it is called the bread of the angels. Beautiful. And our Lord Jesus He applied this to himself in John 6, where he says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, Give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now think of this. We are pilgrims in a chaotic wilderness and in this world of filled with evil and death and fear. How does God sustain us, his weary pilgrims today? He sustains us by giving us the bread of life, Jesus Christ, who is our life. We receive him each week in the preaching of the gospel, but also through the bread and the wine when we celebrate together and we take in his body and blood for spiritual strength and renewal. We take in him who is the true manna from heaven. As Jesus says in John 6, verse 58, your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread, referring to himself, will live forever, will live forever. Now the fifth meal, the bread of presence meal. In Leviticus chapter 24, we hear the instruction that God gave Israel for the bread of presence in the tabernacle, in the temple. This might be the the meal or the one that is least uh, captured in our minds, but there it is, in the temple, in the tabernacle. The Levitical priests were tasked to make two piles of six loaves of bread each week each week 12 loaves in total 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of all of israel all of god's people and there it is called a memorial portion as a food offering to the lord this bread was replaced weekly and eaten weekly by the priest and only the priest this sacred meal in the holy place of god's dwelling His dwelling with Israel, it symbolized God's good presence among his people. He was there with them, eating with their priest. And now, now, through Christ, all believers are granted access into God's holy place, the Holy of Holies, to eat the holy meal that communicates to us the very presence of Christ. The Holy Spirit, through the Lord's Supper, sets before us We who are the new temple of God, the church, he sets before us the bread of Christ's presence. And now in Christ, every believer, every believer is a priest with the privilege to eat the bread of his presence. The Heidelberg Catechism speaks about our belief in the presence, the real presence of Christ that we partake of as we eat the Lord's Supper. It says... Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body as we eat the bread and the wine in the supper. And so although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. And so in the Lord's Supper, Christ is present for us and to us, extending himself as an appetizer, in a sense, for what is to come, a foretaste of what is to come. And that leads us to our last meal, the feast in paradise. In the passage that we read at the beginning from Matthew 26, in verse 29 on that night that jesus instituted the supper he tells us that he was waiting to feast with us again in the kingdom of god he says i tell you i will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when i drink it new with you in my father's kingdom until that day jesus refers here to the future feast that awaits us in glory by saying, until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And even right now, Jesus is like a groom, the bridegroom, on the eve of his wedding night. Think of that. A bridegroom on the eve of his wedding night, eager to behold with his eyes and have and to hold his bride in full and joyous communion and fellowship. And by the design of Jesus, the Lord's Supper is given to renew us until he comes again. In and through the Lord's Supper, it's as if the bridegroom is sending his bride on the eve of their wedding night a sampler plate of the feast that awaits them the next day that they will celebrate together. It is a preparatory meal for our feast in the kingdom of God. And in a sense, the Holy Spirit, as we partake of it, is renewing the spiritual taste buds of our heart so that we more and more acquire the taste for the excellencies of Christ and his kingdom. And that feast in paradise to celebrate the wedding of the Lamb and his bride, it will be glorious, glorious. Isaiah describes for us vividly how it will be in his book chapter 25 verse 6 to 8 and as we hear this description of this great feast that is being prepared for us by faith consider this that you too will be seated in the kingdom of god at that table with christ delighting in him delighting in the goodness of his presence Isaiah says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. You almost get a picture of Jesus himself, the host of this great feast, coming and wiping away the tears from each and every believer seated seated at that table. A table of feasting and great delight in the redemption that God has won for us through Christ. What a joy. What a joy that through the Lord's Supper, Jesus is giving us a foretaste of that glorious feast that we will have forever with him tasting and seeing for all of eternity going forward that the lord is good good indeed now to conclude we've seen these different rivulets these different streams come together to form into this large river giving us a fuller understanding of what it means to eat with god at the lord's supper we saw that the Lord's Supper is a sign of our restored access to eat of the tree of life, to eat of Jesus himself, who is our life. The Lord's Supper is our Passover festival, the celebration of the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. The Lord's Supper is the meal that seals the deal of God's grace and peace to our heart, that, just like that covenant-sealing meal on Mount Sinai. The Lord's Supper is also our spiritual sustenance, As we are pilgrims through this life and in the Lord's Supper, we receive the bread of life, Jesus Christ, who came from heaven like manna, sent from the Father. And the Lord's Supper is the bread of Christ's abiding presence in the new temple of God, his church. And the Lord's Supper, we concluded with, is a foretaste, a foretaste of the feast that Jesus is preparing for us in the kingdom of God. So I trust that now you have a deeper, fuller appreciation and hopefully appropriation of Christ himself in the Lord's Supper as you prepare for the next time you celebrate together as a church family for the strengthening of your souls with great comfort in Christ and to the exaltation of God's glory. Let us hunger and thirst for him. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we delight in your goodness and the beauty of your word, but most of all, Lord, we delight in Christ himself, for in him we find full redemption. Our salvation entirely is found in him, in his blood, in his body, which was broken and shed for us for the full forgiveness of all our sins. Lord, we ask that as we consider the Lord's Supper, and this great gift this means of grace that you have given to your church throughout the world that you would help us especially when we come to celebrate it together to receive it by faith to receive all that you give us and you give us all of your son you give us christ himself let us receive him into our hearts by faith we ask for your glory in jesus name amen well in application of what we've considered tonight, let us sing, stand and sing our song of application 204, a parting hymn we sing, which is tied to the Lord's Supper as well. Let's stand and sing 204, all stanzas. now god's parting benediction uh, this morning in at ontario urc we considered psalm 42 and 43 and there there's a wonderful little uh, nugget of truth where it says that the lord commands by day the lord commands his steadfast love to us uh, and so if, even as we receive the benediction he is sending with authority his steadfast love to cover and protect you For the rest of this week and he sends you with his loving favor with these words the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all amen